the end of that video is a version of the Shema. And we pray the Shema in worship every week because Jesus would have done it every day, but especially before the scriptures were read. So would you stand and recite the Shema with me? Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. You can have a seat. Our scripture passage this morning is from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, the first 18 verses. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. When the disciples went back to where they were staying, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is indeed a story of God for the very people of God. Thanks be to God. The four Gospels of the Bible are four accounts of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. They are very different. But they sound the most similar when they get to the point of the cross. This is where the four voices of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John seem to sync up. And they talk for a while on the topic. The narrative of the crucifixion and the resurrection takes up a good deal of space in each of the four Gospels. I think it's because the death and the resurrection of Jesus the Christ is the thing. It's the thing that changed the lives of those first disciples and many, many who followed after them, and it continues to transform lives for the better. There is within this empty tomb a sense of surprise and hope. 
And this sense of surprise and hope should be a guarantee to us every time we read it, every time we open the Bible to the Easter passages, we can receive hope. It's just like those plastic Easter eggs. I'm guessing some of you have already seen them this morning, or you will see. If you're suffering through tens of hundreds of those plastic Easter eggs, remember their spiritual training for children. Those plastic eggs crack open, and within those eggs, there's something good. Surprise and hope. It's like Jesus' empty tomb, and every tomb since then. Surprise and hope. We want children to know that, and we want to know it too. The truth of the matter is, when I'm still enough, when I'm quiet enough to see it, I see that there are tombs all around me. The tomb of the church of my childhood, the deaths of people who are dear to me, whom I truly miss, the plants and the shrubs brown and dry as dust in my yard since that February freeze. It occurred to me this week that it's worth my consideration to think on the disciples, the disciples at the cross, the disciples at the tomb. What was their role? What did they do? How did they help? You know, when I find myself staring at a mess, I immediately ask, well, what can be done about this mess? How can things be adjusted or remedied? How can we help? Diana Butler Bass is a theologian, and she has a new book out that is called Freeing Jesus. And in the opening pages of this book, she tells a very wonderful and personal story about sitting in prayer at the Washington National Cathedral during a difficult period in her life. She was kneeling in prayer, and she prayed, God, where are you? Where are you, God? I cannot see you. Where are you? And then an audible voice said, get me out of here. (laughs) She opened her eyes and she looked around and behind her. After a few more moments of silence, again the words, get me out of here. Diana Butler Bass stared at the Jesus icon in front of her and she asked, is that you, Jesus? And then she said she was a bit shaken up, and so she bolted from the cathedral. Her husband still, to this day, laughs about the time that Jesus asked her to spring him from the slammer. (laughs) No doubt there are places in my life and in the world where Jesus is imprisoned, not wanting to be constrained in the first place, or no longer wanting to be there since things have gone south. The disciples in John's gospel have followed Jesus on a long journey. They've heard him teach. They've witnessed miracles and signs. He's turned water into wine. He's fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and a few fish. He's walked on water. He's introduced them to a woman, an evangelist, the first evangelist from Samaria. And he's specifically said to them, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. And my Father will send an advocate to help you, the Spirit of truth. 
The disciples have been given the information. When I read John's account, I think the disciples should see it. They should see who Jesus truly is, but they don't. They do not have eyes to see. The Samaritan woman sees Jesus. A man born blind sees him accurately. And probably even Nicodemus has eyes to see Jesus as it is Nicodemus the Pharisee and Joseph of Arimathea who placed Jesus' body in a new tomb, a garden tomb. But the disciples don't seem to get it. At the crucifixion, they disappear and they deny. And the women mourn. They do very little if anything, to bring about the resurrection. Okay, they do nothing. They do nothing to bring about the resurrection, and still Jesus knows his way out of the grave, and I suppose that is exactly the point. He needs no help. He knows his way out of the grave, even when those around him who love him are confused. There's a lot of action A lot of disciple energy being expended in John chapter 20, this first day of new creation. Mary Magdalene, she gets up early and she goes to the tomb. And when it's empty, she runs. She runs to Peter and to John. And then Peter and John run to the tomb. And Mary then returns to the tomb to question the gardener. And it's this misinterpretation, this blunder that causes her to stumble right into the spirit of truth. The gardener is Jesus. Jesus is the gardener, making all things new. He asks Mary the very same question that he asked his first disciples at the beginning of this story, at the beginning of this good news. The first question that Jesus asks, the first words that he speaks in this gospel is to two of John the Baptist's followers. Andrew is one of them. And Jesus says to those followers, who is it you are looking for? It's the same question that he asks Mary in the garden tomb. Who is it you are looking for? Which is to say, open your eyes. Open your eyes to what's right in front of you. What's right in front of you is the new thing that God is doing Your main role here is to look. Your main role here is to watch what God is up to. I'm reminded this week that it's my main role too. To see what God is up to the best that I can. I don't always get it right. Sometimes I just run around like Mary and Peter and John. But the job of the job description of a disciple becomes show up. Show up hopeful. Show up hopeful and open your eyes. We are to be people who gather around tombs. Gather around tombs waiting and watching. It sounds simple, and yet it really does take some grit and courage to show your face around disasters, to hang out with the losing team, to go places where all the evidence is stacked against, 
and in those places to trust hope. N.T. Wright is a brilliant living Christian theologian, and he reminds us that twice in John chapter 20 in verse 1 and in verse 19, which I didn't read, but twice in chapter 20, we are told that this is the first day of the week. The first day of the week, as in the week of creation in Genesis chapter 1, this scene is to be the beginning of a new creation. And this new creation is put to work in the world through the Holy Spirit. Hear how N.T. Wright puts it. He wrote, The Holy Spirit can and does work a thousand different ways, of which we hear only the rustle of the passing wind. One of the ways the Spirit works is through humble, prayerful servants of Jesus whose hearts have been renewed and minds enlightened. They've become the signs. They've become the agents of new life. We are to be signs of creation. We can be when we show up hopefully in dead-end situations. About 17 or 18 years ago, a friend invited me to lunch. He'd been in treatment for cancer with many, many trips between San Antonio and MD Anderson in Houston. The invitation was to lunch at the silo with him and his wife. It's a nice invitation, but the invitation was that we were going to sit down at a table at the silo and plan his funeral. We were going to plan his funeral before he started an experimental treatment that could mean that he would never return to San Antonio. This friend was young, just a few years older than me. He had young children. And even though I'm sure that the food must have been delicious, I didn't eat much. I remember I didn't have much of an appetite, but I showed up and I took notes. You know what? I haven't used those notes. I don't think that I could find them if I tried. This friend has done so much more living in our community in the last 20 years. Just two years ago, right over there, another friend told me that he was going to have elective surgery to get rid of the continual pain that he was experiencing. Nothing to worry about. He'd never had surgery in all of his 80 years very healthy man. After surgery, I happened to visit on the day that he was moved from the surgical surgical wing to the rehab rooms, and we had a really nice visit. But he quickly took a turn for the worse, and not too long after, his wife called me to tell me that he had passed. My immediate response was, I sure will miss him. You know, I can never tell what good will come about. But it does come. It always does come. The thing I know to be true, the thing I know to be true is that every single dead end is a garden tomb. Every single death a garden tomb. Every single disaster, every single train wreck I can show up with grief. I can show up with guilt. That's okay. That's what the disciples did. But it's even better. It's even better when I come with hope. 
like a messenger, like an angel. Because every single dead end is a garden tomb with the wind of the Holy Spirit rustling through. And every single one of us is a sign showing up with courage, eyes open for the first glimpse of new life. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit, you inspire and you encourage and you bring new life. We are the witnesses of your work in the world. We are the witnesses of your work in our very lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. And so would you renew us this Easter morning? Open our eyes that we might see clearly, that we might be delighted and surprised by hope. You never leave us. You don't forsake us. You make all things new. We know this because of Jesus the Christ. Amen.